But my name's uh, Bill Boren, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to stand here for our pastor, who uh, I pray is having a, a great time of, of respite. Uh, we've been traveling through a series called A Heart That Is Pleasing uh, to God. Uh, today, I want to I want to show us what that might look like. If we have that heart, what might that look like? And if it's going to show up in our lives, it's probably going to show up in one particular way. And that way is in the way of service. That a heart pleasing to God is a a heart that is prepared to serve Him. We're going to look uh, at Exodus chapter 35 uh, to this morning. But before you turn there, I want to kind of catch you up of what has happened all the way up to chapter 35 in the book of Exodus, because a whole lot has happened up to this point. If you remember in the beginning of Exodus, there is this man named Moses that God calls out for a particular service. And that service is to deliver his people, God's people, God's covenant people from Egypt, a place of bondage, and deliver them from Egypt, but deliver them to a promised land. And God is going to use Moses to help deliver his people from Pharaoh. If you remember, that's exactly what God did. He used Moses, and on that night, after the Passover lamb was slain, after the doorpost was covered, God said, go. And Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. Remember, they crossed on dry ground. And as the Pharaoh's army, after a change of heart, pursued the people of Israel, God collapsed the waters on top of the army, and God's people continued out away from bondage. God used Moses to deliver his people. God also met with Moses in different ways and at different times. And when he met with Moses up on the mountain, remember God delivered his law and his commands. It would be his law and commands for his people that they would abide by God's law, that they would keep his law as a part of the covenant, but that that law would also point to the reality that they were lawbreakers and they needed a covering. They needed an atonement. They needed one who could uh, provide, it was something that could provide the forgiveness of sin. And so God delivered to Moses this law, but at the same time, he also delivered to Moses some very specific instructions. And those instructions were that he desired for Moses and the people to build a tabernacle a structure that would represent for the people of Israel and those outside of Israel, God's very presence among them. And he gave Moses very specific instructions about what to build, about how to build. And in Exodus chapter 31, he even shows Moses who is going to build this structure. Moses was no carpenter we, that we know of, but God was going to provide people with certain certain skills, and certain resources in order to accomplish a very specific work because God wanted in a very visible way to be evident among the people of Israel that he was present with them. And this tabernacle would be that representation that God was with. The God of Israel 
was with the people of Israel in a very visible way. But if in order for this tabernacle to be constructed, God's people had to rise up in very specific and special ways. They had to serve him. And that's what we read about in Exodus chapter 35. We see hearts that are pleasing to God because we see hearts that are ready and prepared to serve. Turn with me to verse 29, if you will, of Exodus 35. And that's where we see this this first point, this first uh, part of what it means to serve God in when we read uh, these words in verse 29. Verse 29 says, the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, they brought a voluntary offering to the Lord. The first thing we see about service is that there's this collective call, if you will, for service for all of God's people. For the people of Israel, there was this collective call to bring a collective resources to accomplish a very collective and specific purpose. Now, the same could be said for us, for the people of First Baptist Church Covington, that God has called us to gather collectively so that he might combine the resources that we have collectively so that we might accomplish a collective goal together as mandated by God. The truth is you and I can do much more together than we can separate. That's the picture and the beauty of the body of Christ, that together we can accomplish more, that together we are stronger, together we are more able. We see that for us and we see that here in the people of Israel. There's a collective call of service over God's people, the Israelites. Notice he says, all men, all women, all of Israel was called to participate in this particular project. And the same can be said for us. God has called us collectively to participate in his work in his great commission that we might accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish apart. We also see this in verse 30, that God also calls individuals, men and women, by name for the purpose of service. In verse 30, we're introduced to this person that God called by name. In verse 30 says, then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Beziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, to the, uh, of the tribe of Judah. Did you see that? That Beziel was called by name. God knew his name. God spoke his name. God chose Beziel. We also see later in verse 34 that God calls by name another man, Oholiab. Oholiab and Beziel were called to accomplish and lead the people to accomplish the building of this tabernacle. Both men were called by name. Isn't it interesting that these names in Hebrew is so often, they mean something very specific. Beziel means in the shadow of God's protection. Aholiab means the tent of my father. Isn't it interesting that God called two men by name that when they came together, their names mean so much together. 
You see, it was the tabernacle of God that served as the tent of God's very present. But as the tent and God's tabernacle was placed very specifically, very strategically in the middle of God's camp, it also proved to be Israel's protection. It was the dwelling place for their father and it was the protection of the people. God called two men, brought them together in order to lead others to build this tabernacle. Now this structure could be constructed and deconstructed and reconstructed as Israel moved throughout the wilderness. And God wanted for the people to see in a very visible way that he was present among them. But he also wanted the enemies of Israel to also know that the God of Israel was present among them. God called a collective people, but he also called individuals by name. Has God ever called you by name? See, most of us in here that that profess to be believers, we, we remember that time where through the Spirit of God, He called us by name. He called us into salvation. He called us into His very presence so that He might reveal to us in a very specific way our need for His salvation. God calls us by name when He calls us into salvation. If you are a person who has been called into salvation, my friends, you are a person who's been called by name. But the problem with the church is sometimes after we're called by name into salvation, we tune out the voice of God. We think that's all that he wants to speak. I want to share with you this morning, I believe Exodus shows us in a very clear picture that God doesn't just want to call us into salvation. God wants to call us into service. The same God who calls us to salvation is the God who calls us in to service. When is the last time you heard your name called by God? Where he spoke to you very specifically about the the work that he has laid out for you to do. And it's not a work of isolation. It's a work that exists within the context of all that he's doing throughout the body of believers. God has called us by name for salvation, but God calls us by name for service. And we see that with Bezael and we see that with Oholiab. We also see this, that, that those that are called by name are empowered by, are stirred by, and are filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 31 tells us, and he filled them with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship to create designs for working in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood so as to perform in every inventive work. God filled their hearts with wisdom and understanding and knowledge 
and he filled their hands with skill and he filled their minds with inventive work. If you go back and read through Exodus and you see the intrinsic details of the tabernacle, you will be absolutely amazed. It'll be mind-boggling. In fact, for some of us, we go and read through that section of scripture and it's so specific that we just skip over it. We move on to, to what God wants to say next, but he was very specific in what he wanted built and he filled men and women with capacity to provide the resources and to build the structure exactly as he had commanded. They did what God enabled them and called them to do. You know, when we think about our lives and what God has has given to us, we must realize that God has called us to be good stewards over what he has given to us. We think about that from the standpoint of our offerings, over our material possessions, but we must be good stewards over the other things that God has blessed us with, with wisdom and understanding and and skill, the ability to to invent, the ability to do work so that he might be glorified in all of it. May I remind you something this morning? That Potential is not the same thing as production. One of the problems in churches today is that they are filled with potential, but have little production. How can we be a people with so much potential and so little production? Is it because we have forgotten that God has given us collectively, but more specifically, individually, knowledge and skill and ability. And he's gifted us through the power of his spirit to do the work that he's called us to do. Friends, God doesn't call us to do a work that we can't accomplish with his help. He always provides what is needed so that we can accomplish what he calls us to do. But our churches are filled with with people sometimes that have settled in to sit and to soak. And I believe God is calling us today to consider not sitting and soaking, but standing and serving. God's calling us to do something because we are someone. Because he has redeemed us, because he has called us out, because he has set us apart, now he is calling us to something. And that something is to take what he's entrusted to us and invest it in the kingdom of God, where we come together for a common purpose to to accomplish a common goal for the glory of God. Today should be the last day when God's people say, I'm just going to sit and soak. Today is a day to stand and start serving. God has equipped us to be able to do that. Did you know it came from a 
stirring of the heart. God's spirit not only speaks and calls people by name, but he stirs us. He stirs us to service. When is the last time your heart was stirred to do something for God? My friends, idleness and the word idle are pretty close. And my friends, if we're sitting idle, maybe we have an idol in our life. Me, myself, and I. We're satisfied serving ourselves instead of looking beyond ourselves to see where is God sending us so that we might do his work. Spirit-filled believers are are people who've been empowered by God. But notice in verse 34, there are also people that have been positioned by God to influence others. Not was, only was uh, Oholiab and, and, and Bezile, not only were they people that were filled with God's spirit in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and craftsmanship and inventive work, but they were also positioned to be people of influence. Look at verse 34, he says, and he is also put in his heart to teach. God put inside the heart of both of these men to teach others. We've been positioned to influence others by the giftedness that God has given us. We are people of influence. You know, the greatest leaders among us are not people who know how to lead other people. The greatest leaders among us are people who know how to lead other people to be leaders of other people. I love 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Paul is instructing Timothy. And he instructs him, he says, hey, be strong in the grace of God and be a man who knows how to teach others to teach others. See, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be people who are not only positioned next to one another, but we're called to influence one another by the giftedness that God has entrusted to us. Who are you influencing? Moms and dads, who are you influencing? You see, I, I, I don't think we can get away from being influential people. The question is if we're influencing others, the question is how are we influencing others? Listen to me, dads, you're teaching, you're your children how to serve. You're either teaching them how to serve by showing them how to serve or you're teaching them how to not serve by sitting and soaking. I I love the story that Josh uh, Jordan shared with me this morning. I asked for his permission to share it. And yesterday, there's a There's a partnership in ministry that we have here at First Covington with a a ministry called Trail Life. And uh, Trail Life is a ministry for for young boys and it involves dads and it involves opportunities for influence to take place in a very creative way. Well, yesterday there was a gathering of the Trail Life boys and their dads and they went out and they served a couple of places in our community with a couple of individuals and people that really needed some help, particularly around the house with yard work. And, and Josh was just telling me that as he loaded up to, to head up here, that his boys were a little less than excited to give up a Saturday of going and serve. 
right? You've been there. You can, you can hear the conversations and the chatter between Josh and his, and his children and, and uh, Josh and the, you know, he's a gentle giant. And, uh, and I can just see him looking at his son and saying, well, this is just what we're going to do today, boys. All right. And, uh, and, and so they finally, they get out and they have their day uh, of service. And in the middle of it, uh, one of his, one of his boys uh, share and they said, hey, dad, this is just like after Ida. You see, it, his boys were, were serving in the present, but they were reflecting on a past a pastime where he had them out and, and they were serving. And at the end of the day, they got back in the truck and, and, they, and they said in their own words, they said, hey, dad, today, today's been a good day. You know, sometimes we have that reluctance to get out and to, to serve. My friends, if you'll get out of the seat of sitting and, and move into the place of service, what you will find is that your days will never be the same. God will not only work in you, he'll work through you. You'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing to others. We are called and positioned next to people to be people of great influence. And we need to use that influence for his glory. Your potential is not the same as your production. And we don't need to just be people of, potential. We need to be people of production, doing what God has called us and positioned us to accomplish. And we don't need to do it in isolation. We need to do it next to other people, showing them what serving God looks like. How are people going to know that God is tabernacling with you, that he is in you? Well, often it's going to come because you are serving them. What did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You remember when the disciples were kind of clustered up and, and kind of off to the side from where Jesus was and they were bickering among themselves. They were kind of jabbing back and forth at each other. You remember what their conversation was about? They were arguing over who was the greatest. Jesus used that as a teaching time. You know what he, he, he made sure they understood as they, they, they left his presence that day? Hey, if you want to be great, the greatest among you will be the person who what? Who serves. See, God, is, God has called us into his service. He has shown us how to serve him and he's positioned us next to other people to influence them and show them what service really is looks like. We're not where we're serving ourselves, but we're serving him. Not where we're serving for his, for our glory, we're serving for, for his glory. See, gifted servants are actually commanded to serve. Like this isn't a suggestion. This is a commandment. Look at chapter 36, verse one. Now, Bezael, a holy ab, and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with everything that the Lord has commanded. 
God commanded the people of God to operate from the heart that had been stirred, a heart full of wisdom to serve alongside of others, but to serve according to their giftedness. You don't have to recreate yourself in order to serve God. No, you just need to know how God has created you and how God has gifted you for service. We find that sometimes people need a little bit of help, maybe a a resource to help them discover exactly what this giftedness really is. I got good news for you. There's a tool, an opportunity that starts March the 1st, a a ministry point that we have here called PLACE. PLACE is a six-week semester where you can learn exactly how God created you and how God has positioned you for service. On on your sermon sheet today, there's actually a a QR code and there's a a website where after the service, you you can scan that code or you can go to that site and you can say, hey, I'm ready to serve or I'm ready to learn more about how I can serve effectively. Why do you need to seek that out? Because God has commanded us to serve according to our giftedness. See, the Spirit of God, when He comes to dwell in us as believers, He brings with us gifts, not so that we can enjoy them personally, but so that we can use the gifts of God's Spirit to build up the body of Christ. That's why the Spirit of God has empowered you, not so that you serve yourself, but so that you and I learn to serve one another through that giftedness. God commands us, but God never commands us to do something that we can't accomplish through his power and through his spirit. Don't let God's command paralyze you, but know that with his command comes his presence that empowers you to do exactly what he calls you to. You want life to be vigorous. You want life to be full of joy. You want to experience the abundant life that comes with eternal life. Friends, let the spirit of God, the same spirit that called these men out, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit of God who lives in you and empowers you for whatever God commands of you. Isn't that good to know today? God's not calling us to work in our own strength and our own power. Well, that's exhausting. There are people in here right now, you are full on exhausted. You know why? Because you're walking in your own power and your own strength for your own purposes and you don't know the abundant life that comes with eternal life, but God wants to change that today. He wants to flip that switch in you today and saying, hey, the spirit of God who lives in you has empowered you to do much more than you could ever do alone. Notice in chapter 36, verses two through seven, show us this, that when every person contributes, the fruit of collective dedication and labor cannot be contained. Then Moses called Bezael, Aholiab, and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill and everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. 
They received from Moses every contribution which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work of the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him voluntary offerings every morning. And all the skillful people who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which they were performing. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than is enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and circulated a proclamation throughout the camp saying, no man or woman is to perform perform work any longer for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more for the material that they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. What a day for Israel. What a, what a day for the leadership where they had to start turning people away because they had more than enough. You know what I would like to experience here at First Covington? I would like to experience that day where we have to start turning you away. Hey, we just can't handle any more gifts. We can't handle any more of you serving. I would love to see that day. But can I tell you something? That day ain't today. And I don't anticipate it being anytime soon. But there was a day where the people of Israel got it. You know, there were a whole bunch of days where the people of Israel didn't get it. But on this day, they got it. And the fruit of their labor and the fruit of their gifts that came from a common people gathering their common resources for a common purpose, there was a day in Israel where there wasn't just enough, there was more than enough. There was a day when there wasn't just much, there was too much. And my friends, until the five, six, seven thousand people that call First Covington their home, until we come together in a manner that says we have one purpose, we are one body, we are one people with one resource, with one calling to reach the place that God has planted us, until we come together around that reality, we won't experience that day. But let me tell you, that day is possible. If we will walk by the Spirit of God, as the people of God, for the purposes of God, for His glory, this day can come. This day can happen where we have not what we need, but we have what we can't contain. But people have to get up. People have to say that I'm going to live a life that's not about me. This day has not come. You know how I know? Because our preschool right now needs more people inside of it, cherishing and loving and influencing the children that God sends us week by week. We don't have enough. The children's ministry has packed classrooms with empty rooms adjacent to them because we don't have enough teachers. There are doors that are unmanned. There are opportunities, dozens and dozens and dozens of opportunities every single week in this church, on this campus that go unfilled 
Now, there are a lot of you in here that are serving. Let me tell you, we're thankful. We are grateful. And we appreciate what you are doing for Christ. And can I thank another group in here? Can I thank a group that would would say today, God, I want to open up my ears. I want to hear my name. I want you to stir in my heart a way to serve you. I want to thank you for being willing just to listen to the voice of God and see if he might stir your heart. Because my friends, if we will listen to his spirit, we will listen to his voice. If we will obey his word, my friends, that day can come and will come much sooner when we rally around the identity that we have in common, the identity we have through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 43, turn over to chapter 13.